Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you with another Hot Commodities episode. Today we are, since uh, probably final draft weekend of fantasy season, we are coming at you with our top 10 strategies for redraft fantasy football this year. These are kind of, this might be more suited to a novice player, but I think any veteran player of fantasy football can learn something from this as well. So we're coming at you with our, our tips, our tricks, some of the strategies that we incorporate in fantasy all the time and specifically this year. So Danny, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Again, as you mentioned, these are our top 10 strategies for the season. Things that you can kind of have to guide you when you're attacking your draft. Because let's be honest, when you're first attacking your first, what, draft, two drafts or so, when you're new into the fantasy football uh mindset it is pretty intimidating i mean like you don't know oh well i heard of this guy's name like what, what do i do do i take him here yada yada oh when do i take my quarterback when do i take my kicker and defense all that stuff is going to be discussed in today's video so i'm super pumped to get that out for you guys but uh yeah just glad to help everyone right yep for sure so we're gonna hit the intro and then we'll get right into it So the first strategy, and this one I speak from experience because I've done this before, and that's don't load up on rookie running backs and expect them to be the centerpieces of your team in the draft. All right, so this year we're going to exclude Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because he's a first-round pick and he's got all the opportunity in front of him. But the past two years, let's look at the rookie running backs that we – and I'm talking specifically non-first-round picks. So no Saquon, no Josh Jacobs. These guys were expected to come in right away and be contributors. We're talking about Sony Michelle. Ronald jo- actually, he was a first-round pick too. Sony Michelle, Ronald Jones, Royce Freeman, Rashad Penny, Carryon Johnson, uh, David Montgomery, Miles Sanders, Daryl Henderson, and Devin Singletary. Those were like the top drafted running backs the past two seasons. And with some of those names, despite the fact that some of them were just straight busts, a lot of those guys took a while to get acclimated into the NFL. Sony Michelle took a couple weeks before, um, I believe it was Rex Burkhead and James White were the two guys in the backfield when Sony Michelle was drafted. Ronald Jones had a horrible rookie year. Royce Freeman took a while before he could, he actually lost his job to a drafted free agent, Philip Lindsay that year. Rashad Penny never really uh, overcame Chris Carson yet, even his entire career, let alone his rookie year. Carry on Johnson. It took him a while to get past LeGarrette Blunt. David Montgomery week one came out and Mike Davis was a starter. Miles Sanders took him to like Jordan Howard got injured before the, before he was like a valuable fantasy contributor. I mean, Daryl Henderson, like, never really became the guy. Devin Singletary also took him a while to overcome Frank Gore. So all of these guys took a lot, uh, a couple weeks, if not longer, to develop, yet they were top four-round picks in most of these cases in fantasy drafts. So don't assume by week six that your team will be elite because you have seven rookie running backs and they'll all be workhorses by week six. Sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. And if, if you want to go after a DeAndre Swift, if you want to go after a Cam Akers, if you want to go after Jonathan Taylor or J.K. Dobbins, um, I would suggest that you pair them with veteran running backs that you can start until you know that those guys are every week starters. So if you want to grab a Jordan Howard, a Matt Breida, carry on Johnson, Adrian Peterson, Sony, Michelle, Mark Ingram, like any of these guys that, you know, at the beginning of the season, they're going to be the feature backs of their offense. Maybe they're not the feature backs the whole season, but you know, at least while Deandre Swift or Cam Akers or whoever you have is developing that you can start or flex Jordan Howard or Matt Breida until that happens. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree there as well. Again, as you mentioned, uh, you do want to mix in upside. So you, you can take one 
two of these guys. My point is not to make, count on them. Like if you're that, gonna take that's Bonner what I was gonna Taylor, go in. Make him your third running back. If you're 100%. gonna one hundred percent. Same same goes for Acres and Swift if, and Do- if, for Dobbins and Swift right now. I would say make sure they're bench guys for you. Like not even flexes. Like I would I would want them to be a bench player for me. Yeah, I mean that's what I was gonna say. Like if you get one of those guys realistically, and as you mentioned, those low <clears throat> sorry low price veterans such as like Mark Ingram. Jordan Howard, Matt Breida, guys like that, that you can pair with them to get you through the first few weeks. Again, as you mentioned, don't just expect that by week six, you're going to win every single game because in reality, that early season does matter. So you want to mitigate your risk in pairing those high upside rookies with uh, solid, steady guys to put in your uh, RB2 flex spots. But yeah, no, I I definitely agree there. Definitely a riskier options. But again, as we mentioned, like you mentioned, Swift and Dobbins as not being relied upon early on. But if you do have them and you're able to mitigate the risk and you're able to get those wins in those first five or so weeks, as you mentioned, they're going to be league winners down the stretch. So just make sure if you take one of them, you need someone to be able to play in your flex on your RB2 for the time being. Yeah, because if your RB2 those- is DeAndre Swift, you're in trouble. Like you, you need yeah. you need at least for the first six weeks of the season, I would say you need someone like Jordan Howard or Mark Ingram or something that you can – like in, in our uh, in our redraft uh, listener league, I paired Jonathan Taylor with Mark Ingram because I know Mark Ingram I can use for the beginning of the season. Maybe by week nine, Mark Ingram is in a split backfield with J.K. Dobbins, but at least for the first four or five games, I know that Mark Ingram is the lion's share running back in that backfield, and I can wait until Jonathan Taylor overtakes Marlon Mack, which I expect to happen probably of all the rookie running backs the soonest. I think Jonathan Taylor is the guy who beats out his backfield. Maybe aside from like Cam Akers. Well, yeah, because Cam Akers doesn't have any competition right now. So yeah. maybe not Cam Akers, but between Swift, Dobbins, and, and Taylor, yeah, I think Taylor I agree with that. first. Yeah, I think if I were to rank in terms of like the soonest to get like really good fantasy point production for your team, I would say Taylor because I do think he will dispose of Mac within the first few weeks. The thing with Swift, I would have said earlier, like yeah, I would too. have said I would say Swift, he's in the same but boat as with, with the injury, uh, he may take a couple weeks to get fully acclimated. So maybe say – Taylor gets acclimated by week three or four uh, Swift by week four or five, simply because of the injury concern that we do have with him in the preseason still love him season long, but, and then finally with Dobbins again, Ingram's still there. Uh, that backfield's going to be split regardless. So I think it's going to be a little longer for him, but down the stretch, I mean, you talking about week seven, week eight, week nine on like this guy could be a league winner for you. If you get, if you get him at value. So definitely like those selections. So I'm actually going to go into my first uh, strategy, and it, it's one that's affected me personally. It's one that you have to take into consideration when you're drafting your teams. And that's be adaptive to your draft. Do not just pigeonhole yourself and, oh, round by round, I'm going to go RB, wide receiver, quarterback here, tight end here. Like, you don't want to do that. You want to adapt according to value uh, with teardrops. Because, I mean, crazy shit is going to happen in your draft. Every year, an unanticipated drop will happen that catches you off guard. What if you're picking at, We'll say the 212, and you're like, oh, I'm definitely taking a running back here. I'm definitely taking a quarterback here. And then Julio Jones falls to you there. What are you going to do? You're going to take the value of a guy like Julio Jones because, again, you draft based on tiers, not based on players. And if you're looking at it plain and simple, like you have to be able to adapt on the fly, sticking yourself into a design plan simply because that's how you want to like pigeonhole position by position. It's just how you, how you fail in your draft. Don't draft by quota draft by value. And if you're getting guys to be able to get fall to you at value, don't be hesitant in taking them. That's my main thing here. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you're doing mock drafts and you're finding like, like you mentioned, picking at the two twelve, like say you, you're picking Christian McCaffrey in the first round and every time the two twelve comes along, your options are like, you have no running backs left. Like uh, it's like a teardrop off at running back. So you're looking at guys like Chris Godwin, Deandre Hopkins, and your mid draft and Aaron Jones is sitting there. Like don't just because you did that in mock drafts and you got Chris Godwin and Deandre Hopkins at the two, three turn pick, pick Aaron Jones, if he's ranked higher in a tier for you. So Again, being adaptive, not pigeonholing yourself. And I know you've heard us talk about the fact that we want to leave our first, probably two of the first three rounds with two running backs, but that's based on where we're picking. We know at the end yeah. of the first round, you can get that without having to succumb to like reaching for, uh, reaching for guys or sticking to a set plan. But um, yeah, like, actually- I totally agree. People who want to go into drafts, getting running back, running back, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, quarterback, tight end, running back, run like that. There's no reason you should ever do that because you're going to miss out on if, if you have two receivers already and you, you, your set strategy was that you're going to get a receiver in the fifth round and fucking, I don't know, whoever you like in the fourth round slips there, you should pick them like at running back. So yeah, 100%. not pigeonholing yourself is definitely a big deal. That, that also has to do, uh, I'm going to mention it later on uh, in terms of running back strategy, but it all always will depend on your draft slot. If you're picking at the one one and you're locking up a guy like Christian McCaffrey, you're one or two, you're locking up a guy like Saquon Barkley you can tend to say, you well, you know what? If the RB value is not here, I'm not just simply going to start RB, RB in the first uh, two out of three rounds. Like you, you can afford to take uh, a different position there. Whereas if you're at the back end of the first and you're able to pair two of the top 14 guys, in my opinion, that, that, that is an optimal strategy, uh, like in my opinion as well. But anyways, uh, in general though, you just got to make sure as myself and Bush were saying, you have to be adaptive. You have to pick on the fly because in reality here, for example, you're in the sixth round and you don't want to take a tight end here. You're just saying, oh, I'm just going to go late options. And like Zach Ertz falls to you at the end of the sixth round. Like, are you going to pass on him just because you're set in taking a late tight end? No. And I'm going to get into that too with the tight end strategy later. But uh, take it away with your second biggest strategy, Bush. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm actually, I haven't been using a different order, but I'm going to go by like kind of general strategies for fantasy football in general. So I'm going to start with this strategy and this is get your guys and trust your gut. I hate, hate, hate when fantasy analysts say draft based on value all the time. Like, because like an analyst telling you that ADP is great value, like, oh, getting Todd Gurley in the fifth round is great value. Like when the toe hits the leather, ADP doesn't mean jack shit. If you don't believe in Todd Gurley, like me and Danny, don't, don't pick Todd Gurley. I don't care where he falls. I wouldn't pick Todd Gurley if he was a seventh round pick. Why? Because I don't believe in him this season. I think he's going to be terrible. If you get Jonathan Taylor, for example, maybe he's one of your guys, you really believe in Jonathan Taylor, and you pick him at the 205, and he's a top five running back, no one's going to give a shit that you reached on him. Like, no one cares. Because Jonathan Taylor, if you believe in him, and you, you think he's the guy to own in the Colts' backfield, and he's going to be the next Nick Chubb, the next, like, whoever running back you think he is, then he's worth that pick. Obviously, this is within reason. Don't go taking Zach Moss in the fourth round, <laughs> because you really believe in Zach Moss, but... Don't be afraid to take him in round eight or nine, despite his 12th round ADP, because if he becomes a top 20 running back, who cares that you reached four rounds on him? And again, at late rounds is, and Daniel get into this more, but late rounds is when you want to be doing stuff like that. So this also applies too for not letting value determine who you pick. Danny mentioned value, but also don't let it deter you from picking someone that you like. So if you are in round three and DeAndre Hopkins is on the board, and I'm not a fan of DeAndre Hopkins this year. Me neither. So- if DeAndre Hopkins is on the board and you're caught between picking Adam Thielen and DeAndre Hopkins or DJ Moore and DeAndre Hopkins, I would take both of those guys over DeAndre Hopkins because I actually believe in their outlook. 
aside from the fact that DeAndre Hopkins is a great value because he never slips to the third round. I don't really care, to be honest. Like I, I, I really believe in Thielen and DJ Moore this year. So I'm not, if you're obligated to feel like you need to draft based on value, then you've just played yourself because the reality is, is ADP is determined by public opinion and draft analysts. It's not determined by who's going to be better or who's worse. So uh, the last thing too with this is gut feeling. Sometimes you just do, you have a gut feeling about a player. You think he's not going to be good this year. You can't really explain it. Maybe you can a little bit, but I got him about certain guys too. Kenyon Drake is, I have a gut feeling about Kenyon Drake. I don't think he's going to be the like featured workhorse of the Cardinals all season. He could be maybe for the first five, six weeks or so. And I could look like an idiot, but I don't think Kenyon Drake is going to be very good this year. I think he's going to bust and disappoint people. So regardless of our analysis too, if you don't believe like we're, we've been pounding Austin Eckler down your throat all, all off season. If you have a gut feeling about Austin Eckler and you think he's going to be terrible, then don't draft him. Don't draft him just because your favorite analyst says he's going to be super good. If you have that gut feeling about Josh Jacobs or Austin Eckler or, or Julio Jones, like whoever you think is going to uh, have a down year, just don't draft that player. Don't feel like you need to draft players based on value because they slipped you. It's, it's like instincts, gut feeling, and getting your guys and doing your own research trumps all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, 100%. Like th- that is bang on. Again, as you mentioned, we're here to guide you guys. We're here to, gui- uh, to give you a leeway, to give you a path to making your own smart analyzed decisions we don't want you guys to just take our rankings and go strictly off that view the information that we provide to you guys and make an informed decision based on what you guys know what we're telling you and what you're hearing from other people because in reality nobody's going to be 100 percent right in fantasy football being able to make informed decisions based on the information available is always going to be the optimal strategy for you guys again uh bush was mentioning uh just taking a guy because his adp is three rounds higher uh, if, if he's there, when in reality, I mean, that's just not going to be the case, as Bush mentioned. For example, he mentioned he wouldn't take early in the seventh round. I'm fully on board with that as well. I actually had a similar situation in a home league about a few days ago. You guys know I'm all the way out on David Johnson. You guys can watch yesterday's video to see more on that, my top five busts. David Johnson, similar scenario, fell to the seventh round. And I still didn't take him there because I had another guy that I liked better than him. Plain and simple. Like that is a real life scenario, real life situation where, oh, maybe according to ADP, I should have taken him, but I don't believe in David Johnson. So I'm not just going to take him because uh, a consensus says that I should. And another scenario in terms of gut feeling guys, guys that you feel like are going to outperform their ADP. A couple of years ago, uh, Kareem Hunt was a rookie. And that was right after Spencer Ware right down. He started getting in the backfield. We all heard the rumblings of Andy Reid. So he was kind of, his ADP rose from like the later rounds to fourth, fifth round area. I believed in him so much. I took him at the end of the second round. People were like, oh, wow, you reached on him. I ended up finishing as the top four back. So was it a reach? No, exactly. Uh, and guys- that was my point with Jonathan Taylor because like, no one knows what's going to happen. So if you really, really believe in a guy, and again, within reason, don't, don't take Zach Moss in the fourth round. <laughs> yeah, but do that. like, if you really, really believe in a guy, then go get your dude. Like if that's, if that's how it works. And I also suggest, and Mike wrote this up in his, uh, on the loadedboxpodcast.com, Mikey, our, our dynasty guy here, he wrote this up saying, have a guy in the mid rounds that you're attacking. And up until, uh, up until today, that was Ronald Jones for me, rip. But um, just have guys like that because, those are the type of guys that can win you leagues because uh, as we're going to mention with a later point, the first four rounds, you're getting the foundation of your team. After that, you're getting the kind of breakout players and, and the sleepers and all that stuff. So uh, Danny, what's your uh, next strategy for the viewers? 
All right, for sure. Yeah, I kind of uh, mentioned this earlier, but that is uh, generally getting your RBs early and avoiding the dead zone between rounds three to seven because uh, I'll get into it. But And uh, sorry, get your RBs early, avoid the dead zone, and then target ambiguous backfields late. So it's no secret that on a fantasy football team, I mean, your top end aren't running backs are going to be the engines that drive the success of your team. Again, drafting stud running backs, like last year, if you pick Christian McCaffrey, the years before, if you pick Saquon Barkley, Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, David Johnson, all those guys in the years past were the engines to championship teams. Drafting these stud running backs to anchor your team becomes crucial because once the top guys are gone, a huge, huge drop off in production is experienced at the position for this year, especially again, we've mentioned it multiple times. You guys can check out our rankings videos. There's about a tier of the top 14 or so running backs that are so far ahead of the rest of the field that the goal should be again we mentioned at the earlier portion if you're picking 101 102 you can lean away from it but the goal should be in the first two rounds being able to pair two of these guys so while of course again you got to adjust for value like if you're looking between ken and drake and freaking Devonte adams who all see on the board and the second round obviously you're not just going to take ken and drake because he's a running back no you still got to draft on value but realistically if you can if if you have a receiver and a running back valued pretty pretty closely, I would lean towards locking up the running back position because of the scarcity aspect. The reason being, by doing this, you avoid the RB dead zone between rounds three and seven, where historically it it's just not on their side. I mean, we can point to what even happened last year. If you actually look at the uh, the finishes of 2019, for example, the mid-round running back selected that year between rounds four and seven were Melvin Gordon, Marlon Mack, Philip Lindsay, Tevin Coleman, Miles Sanders, Duke Johnson, Darius Geis, Darwin Thompson, Latavius Murray, and Austin Eckler. So there's about a 30% hit rate there. And when you could have had guys like Chris Godwin, Tyler Lockett, Robert Woods, Kenny Galladay, Julian Edelman, uh, Cooper Cup, Mike Williams, Tyler Boyd, and Josh Gordon, which is actually an 80% hit rate if you actually compare them. So ultimately, the reason why we say pound running backs early is A, they dissipate real quick. And B, the wide receiver depth between these rounds, as I mentioned, 80% hit rate versus 30% hit rate. It's just plain and simple. So there's such a disparity. When you're looking at it as well, these running backs in the dead zone, what is really the increase or sorry, the decrease in risk between them and later options? Like late round running backs you can get that I'm fine with personally compared to like some of the mid-round running backs would include guys like Zach Moss, Boston Scott, Chase Edmonds, Damian Harris, Jarek McKinnon, Anthony McFarland Jr. We're all going in rounds nine, 10 plus that you can get and feel just as comfortable with getting as those guys are who are being taken in the same range as some of those top receivers. You're looking at receivers in that range being like DJ Chark, uh, Terry McLaurin, uh, Marvin Jones, Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, all those guys are going in the same range as these dead zone running backs. So why would you take a dead zone running back ahead of them? That's my thing. So take the receivers in that range and just get a similar risk running back later on. And you still end up with a stud receiver talent where you could have had a similar running back, right? Yeah. And you kind of stepped on my point, but this the next point we're going to talk about is, is uh, weight on receiver. And the reason is, is because Danny mentioned the scarcity of the running back position. Think about it. How many teams in the NFL have two every week starters at running back in fantasy? Like maybe, maybe three per season. Like maybe. Like the last like really good example I can think of this was 2017 with Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. Like usually you're getting one running back and the rest is kind of just like maybe you throw him into your flex spot and hope he gets you 10 points. Like 
receiver wise, there's 16 NFL teams that have two startable every week fantasy receivers. And there's probably five teams that have three. So aside from the top four guys, in my opinion, in, uh, in ADP at the receiver position, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas, and Julio Jones, the way of the volume hog number one wide receiver, which Tyreek Hill isn't even one of those guys, um, that existed in the early 2000s with guys like Andre Johnson and Randy Moss and Megatron and Marvin Harrison. These type of receivers are slowly fading away because offenses are more spread out. They move guys around more. And in general, the infusion of talent at the receiver position, this, uh, this past receiver class in 2019, this receiver class that we just had in 2020 and next year's receiver class make it that most teams are going to have two or even three fantasy relevant receivers and on a week in and week out basis. And that requires you to be able to play matchups much easier where instead of having, Oh, like the, the Colts are playing the Bengals. Oh, I can only play Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison. There might be like, Oh, you can play fucking Stokely and like whoever else, right? Like these good matchups, you can attack two or three pass catchers from one team as opposed to like 10 years ago when it was just like Marvin Harrison that you could play consistently. So there are legitimately, and I'm not even exaggerating here, 40 guys in, in the NFL this year that could finish as wide receiver twos in fantasy. Anyone from Juju at ECR 12, all the way to Darius Slayton at uh, ECR fucking 44. Attack wide receivers in the mid rounds. Rounds three to seven, ideally, is, the, is like the, the hot spot for receivers because after like, I would say probably the Texans receivers and like Darius Slayton, Deontay Johnson, it does start to get a little bit questionable, but yeah. And some people's like objections that they might have to taking receivers early is that they're more consistent than running backs. And that really is just like straight up, not true. Like the consistency argument only applied to Michael Thomas last year. Like literally Michael Thomas was the only guy that busted like less than 20% of the time. And two years ago, it was only Devontae Adams who had that. So I mean, there's probably two to three to four or five, maybe six running backs that bust a similar amount of times as the top receivers. So Debo, Parker, Metcalf, AJ Brown, DJ Moore, Robert Woods, Stephon Diggs, like uh, DJ Chark, all of these guys went after round three last year. These were all mid-round receivers. And I didn't even mention like Chris Godwin too. Like all these guys were all like mid-round receivers that ended up either being wide receiver ones, top five receivers. Maybe they were just wide receiver twos that you could count on it's much easier to identify a breakout receiver as well. A breakout running back requires opportunity and oftentimes injury to become a breakout running back. A receiver, Cortland Sutton, for example, last year didn't require any injury to anyone in his offense. He was there producing while Emmanuel Sanders was still there before he was traded. So all the the neglect probably about uh, taking receivers early this year is, is for a reason. It's because the running backs are scarce. It's not because some random fantasy analyst said, take running backs early. We all just agreed. Like, no, it's, we all agree that that is the optimal play this year because of that. I know you said 14, 15 running back yeah. uh, drop off after like the mid second round. Yeah. I mean, like, again, after those 14, 15 guys, realistically, the receiver value just outweighs the running back value. Again, if you're picking up the one one you're probably not going to get one of those running backs anyways. So if you take like a DJ Moore and a Travis Kelsey or a DJ Moore and a Lamar Jackson, okay, that's fine. Cause you have Christian McCaffrey to be able to supplement that risk at the running back position. Again, it's scarce, but I mean, Christian McCaffrey is just a different breed compared to those top 14 guys. But in general, as, as you mentioned, and I mentioned that RB dead zone between rounds three and seven are because all those running backs are getting pushed up because of the scarcity to the point where you're getting guys that, usually going round seven round eight or going in round five round six now because of this issue that is going on and plain and simple 
If you're taking a guy in round five or six, when you could have a DJ Chark, you could have a Terry McLaurin, you could have guys like that, Michael Gallup, uh, Stefan Diggs, guys in that range that are just so much safer options than the running backs available. Why would you take the running back there? Like plain and simple, it's just an optimal play. Take the receiving talent when it is available to you. But uh, se- segueing off of that, I'm actually going to get into uh, the tight end position now. So uh, my thing at the tight end position is you're either going to draft them early or you hit, you punt them and you take them late. The only uh, exceptions to the mid-round tight end would be that Waller, Ertz, and Andrews here, simply off value, but I'm going to get into that. So again, similar to running back, I view the tight ends as to all uh, being all in on it. So Kelsey, Kittle, or punting it with those few exceptions. So uh, to start, Kittle and Kelsey are just the kings of the position, plain and simple. And for valid reasons, both are absolute monsters that are genuine game changers in a general messy position slot on your roster. Plain and simple, the tight end position, if you don't have a good one any single year, it's mostly a mess. Because it's so hard to find guys that are actually going to be able to contribute in that slot to you. So you want a producer in that slot. So again, if those two guys are able to slip to the end of your second, early third rounds in your draft, I mean, snatch up the value. Again, I mentioned those top 14 running backs and top five or so receivers. After that, I'm perfectly fine with taking a tight end if, it, if I have to in the second round, especially when you're buoyed by a top running back like a CMC, Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley, because that's basically where the value would be aligned. So Again, I mentioned the upper middle class, as we like to call it on the channel, being Mark Andrews, Zach Ertz, and Darren Waller. Uh, at the cur- or If you have to take them in the third, fourth round, I'm out on them there. But if any of them slip to like late round five, early round six range, I am intrigued with that value. So again, while Andrews and Ertz are currently coming off the board at ADP of uh, 43 and 47 respectively, so the 307 and 311, which I would be out on. Waller is the one that especially intrigues me because he is most likely to slip. His current ADP is 64 or the 604 off the board. That is incredible value on him. And I would perfectly feel fine with parting with that mid-round pick uh, and that mid-round tight end philosophy if a guy like that is available. However, after those top five guys are gone, punt the position. Avoid the Evan Ingrams, the Hunter Henrys, the Tyler Higbees, the Rob Gronkowskis of the world. Lean toward later guys. Again, you can get guys like Hayden Hurst, Johnny Smith, Chris Herndon that are going later on that have similar risk and similar upside. So why would you just spend a mid-round pick on a tight end when you could, could get a really good like Marquise Brown where you're taking Evan Ingram versus taking a late tight end? You can get one of those guys. And if you go with Evan Ingram or so, you'd be ending, ending up getting a receiver like – I don't know, Emmanuel Sanders. Would you rather have uh, Evan Ingram and Emmanuel Sanders or Marquise Brown and John Smith or Hayden Hurst? Plain and simple, uh, just go with that value there. And uh, in your home league, I mentioned guys like Hayden Hurst and John Smith. Those are typically guys that you can get really good discounts on because simply put, the casual fan doesn't really know these guys before they actually have production. So again, Hayden Hurst and John Smith haven't really per se broken out yet. So they can go under the wraps because simply they don't have the names of guys like Rob Gronkowski. People might know Taylor Higby because of his good, good stretch at the end of the season. They'll know Hunter Henry. They'll know Evan Ingram. But those guys, Hayden Hurst, John Smith, you could get in round 9, 10, 11 and still give you incredible value and similar value to those other tight ends, as I mentioned. So, again, segueing the point, get the position early if you can, if you can get them at value. Genuinely avoid the mid-round guys other than that upper middle class, as I mentioned. And if you're able to snag late round targets, guys like Hayden Hurst, Chris Herndon, uh, and John Smith are optimal plays. So definitely like that strategy at the tight end position.
Yeah, yeah, I have no disagreements there. The middle class is is a wasteland. It was a wasteland last year with guys like Eric Ebron and and Hunter Henry and guys like that. It's just not worth taking guys like that when you can get a guy in the twelfth round with similar concerns and the similar upside to those mid round guys. So, um, speaking of a position, I don't really play in too many leagues that have these positions anymore, except for my main home league that still has this, and that's wait till the very end of your draft to draft a, a kicker or a defense or don't draft one at all. So for a defense specifically, here's why you want, you want to wait until the end of your draft because they change drastically year over year. Last year, if you look at the number one defense was New England Patriots and they were by far the number one defense for the first half of the year. This is who they lost in the offseason. Jamie Collins, Kyle Van Noy, Donta Hightower, Patrick Chung, among other people. And this happens every year with the top defense. They lose some players. Maybe their defensive coordinator gets a head coaching job or whatever. Like they're usually not, it's very rare that a defense finishes like one and then they're like top three the next year. It's just, it's constant like um, changeover and, and, and all that stuff. So unless you hit on a defense like that, like the bears in 2018 or the Patriots last year or the Jags in 2017, then you should be streaming defenses every week based on matchup because unless you can hit on a defense like that, that's an every week starter gets turnovers constantly you're, you're really just looking for a defense to get you like eight to 10 points. So you look for guys that are playing Jameis Winston, defenses that are playing Daniel Jones, defenses that are playing Sam Darnold, Ryan Fitzpatrick, like these quarterbacks that are prone to turnovers or are just bad offenses in general. Instead of drafting a defense or, or, a, or a kicker early, what you should be doing is taking a handcuff or a, high, a super high upside receiver because you never know. Like Le'Veon Bell could get traded next week. And then all of a sudden – fucking Frank Gore is actually really valuable. He could be like an RB two or whoever else is there. Like we just saw Leonard Fournette just got released. If you had drafted a defense, you might not have taken Rykel Armstead at the end of your draft or Chris Thompson or Divine Zigbo, whoever you like from that backfield. So I would suggest not picking up a defense or a kicker until you absolutely have to, which is right before the kickoff of Thursday night football or Sunday night, fo- or, um, Sunday afternoon games. Like just wait, hold a guy on your bench. Cause you never know. Someone could get arrested. Someone could fucking get cut. Someone could get traded. And then all of a sudden you might have a potential league winner. Someone who drafted James Conner at the end of their draft a couple of years ago, probably had a league winner when Le'Veon Bell decided that he wasn't coming back to the NFL that year. So wait till the last round, the second to last round to draft your defense. If you have both and the last round, if you only have defenses and then kickers. Yeah. Like you're streaming kickers basically just based on matchup, high scoring games, defenses you're doing the same thing but in reverse against bad quarterbacks and bad offenses so you're really only going to see value from drafting a defense highly if they become like an elite every week starter and that's very very difficult to predict yeah 100 percent. again uh if you're in like for example a platform like espn forces you to draft a kicker and a defense those are the last two designated rounds for your draft don't be getting cute say oh well the niners or the pittsburgh steelers defense and the ninth 10th round well they're gonna outproduce every other defense because plain and simple like that is just a waste of a pick at that point yes they might they might be the number one or two defense but you know who could be a really good valuable receiver or running back option that range guys like zach moss guys like uh we'll say darius edmonds pace edmonds guys in that range where like you could just take a defense extreme matchups in the last round of your draft or second round uh, second last round as bush mentioned like plain and simple don't invest a ton of capital into the kicker and defense position so or better yet just get them get them out of your leagues in general yeah yeah that's another part of a uh, way to solve that
Yeah, for sure. So uh, going into my next point, it's uh, you generally want to wait on the quarterback position again. There's another one that simply comes down the tiers of players, in my opinion. So in a lot of your home league drafts, Mahomes and Jackson will likely go in the end of the first round, round two area. We're, we're talking specifically single quarterback leagues just for the yeah. record oh, right six, now. Six. But also in a super flex league, I don't know if you stand by this. I, I generally like middle class guys from yeah. in a super flex league too. So, but yes, specifically a single quarterback league, you generally want to wait on quarterback. If it's a super flex, uh, take the value on those guys in that second tier behind Mahomes and Jackson, in my opinion, because there's like a three or four round discrepancy between them and like, or in a super flex going closer, but in a one QB, I'm actually going to get into, there's like a three or four round discrepancy. So you can get one of those guys at a value instead. That's pretty nice, but we'll get into that. We'll talk about a super flex video uh, soon enough, but uh, this is specifically for the one quarterback uh, leagues. Uh, so anyways, Mahomes and Jackson are typically going in rounds one or two in your home leagues. And the next year, Prescott, Murray, Watson, and Wilson will most likely be picked anywhere between round four to seven or so, probably in your home leagues near that round four or five type range. And at those values, again, just take the value at other positions as the tier differential between the top wide receivers and running backs versus the top quarterbacks is significant in terms of points per game. A crazy example I can bring to you right now actually is uh, – in general, for reference, the same difference between Christian McCaffrey and the RB2 Aaron Jones last year on points per game was 10.2 PPR points per game. That is the same differential between the quarterback two, Dak Prescott, and quarterback 23. So keep that in mind. Uh, the opportunity cost of taking a quarterback over the top options at other positions is significant. So you generally want to build your cores at RB and wide receiver, or possibly, again, as I mentioned, at the end of the second, you can get a top-tier tight end in late round two if possible, rather than taking one of the quarterbacks. And uh, the one thing I'm going to say is this is mostly dependent on roster construction and value. So if I'm picking 101 and I already have Christian McCaffrey and then I get a stud RB wide receiver like a DJ Moore at the end of the second round, given the cheer drops between the top 14 running backs uh, to the field and the top six or so wide receivers to the field, I would feel comfortable taking a Lamar Jackson uh, to add to another elite player to CMC and he could be an optimal play overtaking just a, another middle class running back or wide receiver instead. Again, I would take the two tight ends above the two quarterbacks, but if they're both gone and you can compare, or you, sorry, you compare like a CMC with a Lamar Jackson, I'm fine with doing it there, but that's only at value. And as I mentioned with the other four names being the Watson, Wilson, Dak, and uh, who am I missing there? Kyler. Kyler. Uh, the same applies for them. Generally in rounds four to six, I'm not taking any of them, but if any one of them slips to round seven, and I'm staring at Watson, I'm going to say I'm staring at, let's say, Deshaun Watson versus Will Fuller or Tariq Cohen. So according to Fantasy Pros Best Ball ADP, they actually all are seventh round picks right now. I'll opt to take a guy like Deshaun Watson that has a realistic shot at finishing as the quarterback one in that range any day of the week. So it all depends on your value. If you can get one of them at a value, I'm not pigeonholed into saying avoid the quarterback whenever, just take a late round guy. But don't be spending up on these guys because simply put their value compared to the other positions in that sort of area uh, is just not there. So yeah, get them if they fall at value though. That's my yeah. thing. And this is super league dependent, I would say, because you really have to know when your league is picking quarterbacks. Because in my league, for example, my home league, quarterbacks do go a bit earlier than they, they would in like an experts league or whatever. So though that tier of quarterbacks you mentioned might all go in round four. Maybe, maybe one of them slips to round five. And then the next tier of quarterbacks, the Matt Ryans, the Tom Brady's, the Carson Wentz's, and like those guys are going in round seven, eight. 
instead of rounds nine and 10, like they would be in like an expert league or whatever. So know your league, make sure you're not left without any quarterback. If everyone in your league drafts two quarterbacks in a single quarterback league and you're stuck with fucking Teddy Bridgewater as your QB one, you're probably not going to be in great shape. So make sure you don't miss out on any like huge runs if they're happening, because that that'll just leave you kind of stranded and behind. But yeah, generally if your league waits on quarterbacks, then I would say get maybe two to three guys that you're willing to take at value for me this year. It's Deshaun Watson, Tom Brady, and Matt Ryan. Those are the guys that I'm actually willing to take relatively early compared to like the other guys. But then after that, if I miss out on those guys, I'm waiting till Gardner Minshew, till Joe Burrow, till Ryan Tannehill. Like I'm waiting all the way to the QB 18, 20 range. So again, yeah, generally wait on quarterback is a solid philosophy because as Danny mentioned, the, the difference between the quarterback four and the quarterback 20 is really not that high. It's not that much. It's, it's way bigger of a difference between the running back four and the running back 20. So you're better off going 100%. for those positions. So the next point I want to get to, and this one is really, really important in my opinion. This one is probably the one that can lose you your league the easiest is don't draft risky players early. If you're going to take risk, do not do it in the first three, maybe four rounds. So the guys that don't bust in these ranges are typically the guys that end up on a lot of playoff rosters, a lot of championship rosters. Last year was guys like CMC, guys like Derrick Henry, guys like Michael Thomas, guys like Travis Kelsey, even Dalvin Cook who got hurt is someone who was a lot on a lot of playoff rosters because he was very good for the amount of time that he did play. So take Travis Kelsey, for example. He doesn't get hurt. He's in an elite scheme. He has an elite quarterback, an elite offense. If you're caught between someone like DeAndre Hopkins, who I mentioned I'm not a big fan of, and Travis Kelsey, which I've actually been faced with this decision in a draft before, my advice is to favor a guy like Kelsey or whoever in that mix you perceive to be the safer option because some of the riskier players can ruin your league. They can ruin your season. If you miss on your second and third round pick, you're fucked. There's like, even if you have McCaffrey last year, if you drafted probably Juju Smith-Schuster and I don't know who was like a third round pick that busted last year, James Conner, uh, maybe like, I don't know. It's your, uh, I mean, it, or if you're, if you're at the one, two turn, you ended up with Odell Beckham and Juju. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you had two guys like yeah. that and they busted, you probably did not win your league. If you did, you probably had some super lucky waiver wires and shit, but some of the riskier players this year that I'm avoiding early, just because they're going too early for me to like actually be in on them is Dalvin Cook, who I mentioned because his injury concerns and the potential holdout. Kenyon Drake, who I just, I, I don't want him at all. DeAndre Hopkins, who changed teams and he, he's got the chemistry issues. Todd Gurley, who just sucks at football. David Johnson, who just sucks at football. And Chris Carson, who's got injury concerns. So those are like the main guys that I'm avoiding early in rounds because I think those are the dudes that can lose you a fantasy league. Maybe one of them, maybe two of them win you a fantasy league, but I, I'm, I think it's far more likely that those guys lose you one. And then some of the safer players, I would say if you're caught between some of these guys and another one of these guys is Zeke Elliott, Michael Thomas, Devonte Adams, Julio Jones, Josh Jacobs, Derek Henry, Allen Robinson, Adam Thielen, and then the two tight ends. Like I think those guys are like really safe options that if you're caught between a Chris Carson and an Allen Robinson, my advice, take Allen Robinson because Allen Robinson is a far safer pick. Yeah, I know. I fully agree there uh, as well. You want to mitigate risk or you, sorry, you want to mitigate risk in those first three or four rounds as, uh, as possible. Because let's be honest, if you're picking in those first three or four rounds, a lot of those players are going to be stud cogs in your lineup. So why would you take one that has a chance of maybe busting more so than another option? Like, as you mentioned, Ezekiel Elliott versus the Dalton Cook. If they're both elite running back options, why would you take the one with more question marks, plain and simple? It doesn't make sense to me. Especially uh, for those two, like, what's the difference? Dalvin Cook might finish as the RB1, but Zeke will be at a RB3. Like, was it really worth that risk 
Like, I don't think so. The the difference between a guy like Zeke and Dalvin Cook is like, I know Zeke's going to be a top eight running back at his floor. Minimum. Oh, like five, probably more realistically. Like Dalvin Cook's floor is like, he plays two games. Yeah, like Zeke in his career, literally four or four years on a points per game basis has literally been RB2, RB2, RB3, and his worst finish on a points per game basis was RB5. Like that is just straight yeah. consistency cog in your lineup type material. But as you mentioned, again, early rounds, mitigate the risk. That's actually segueing into uh, my next point is while you don't take those risks in your draft early, make sure you take some upside shots later on because there's definitely – players to be had later on that may be a little riskier but if they do hit could give you league winning type upside so again late rounds are meant for guys that have high upside to eventually crack your lineup if you need them for a week they actually have the ceiling to be able to produce you a league winning type week don't take guys like larry fitzgerald or cole beasley in the late rounds just because you know that you're they're probably going to be i don't know safe if you want if you want to call them that rounds 10 plus especially targeting ambiguous backfields as i mentioned potential breakouts and players with boom type upside like a Deshaun Jackson for example he may get hurt very well but his he will get hurt probably probably but his first three or so weeks three or four weeks especially if Rager is out like he's literally got top 15 upside in any single one of those league or weeks so even if he does get hurt and you take him in your as your 10th or 11th round pick and he's able to get you wins in those first three or four weeks i don't it's care worth, that he got hurt if he gets you four it. games where he scores plot like 10 plus points and then he gets hurt and doesn't play a game for the rest of the year you spent your 11th 12th round pick wisely because yep. the chances of, of golden tate if you picked him there giving you four games like that where you felt comfortable starting him and he got you more than 10 to 15 points is probably like golden Tate might do that four times this whole year. A hundred percent. So again, if, if you're actually looking at uh, why you want to chase upside uh, common examples for myself personally, over these last couple years, if you just want to look at it, 2018, well, would you want a guy like Cooper cup and George Kittle 2019? Would you want a guy like Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson? They were all guys going in rounds 10 plus in 2018 and 19 respectively. And they were all unproven at the time of their drafts that ended up giving you league winning type upside. That's what you got to chase at the later portion of your draft. Because ultimately, as we've said multiple times, don't settle for fourth place in your league. Shoot for first. Those type of upside shots later on are the type of guys that can take you over the top. So that's my philosophy. Again, mitigate risk earlier on, as Bush mentioned, take those upside plays later on because ultimately they're going to give you league winning type upside. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately too, the goal of your bench is for them to become starters, not for you to like keep them as bi-week fillers, because especially if you're in a shallow league, like an eight or a 10 team league, you can get golden Tate off the waiver wire and start him If you absolutely have to, you can get a guy like that who can fill in. If you have like three guys get COVID right before a game or some shit, but a guy like JK Dobbins or something, for example, you pick JK Dobbins because you want to eventually be able to start JK Dobbins. You don't want to have a bunch of guys on your team that are all kind of the same. And you have no idea who to start week over week. If JK Dobbins cracks your starting lineup, he's probably there to stay. Yeah, no, hundred percent. If JK Dobbins at some point this year does, uh, is able to crack your starting lineup, that's not going to be as an RB 25 to 30 type player. That's going to be, if he's in your starting lineup, he's probably going to be at that point, a locked and loaded top 15 running back plain and simple. So. And those are the type of guys you want. You don't want to be being like who, like uh, on all the like um, fantasy podcasts, asking the questions like, who should I start? Should I start Deshaun Jackson or should I start Jamison Crowder? Or should I start John Brown? Like all these guys are kind of similar and like really depending on the matchup or one big play here and there 
could honestly sway it either way. So format as well, like Michael Pittman Jr. Instead of fucking John Brown, because if Michael Pittman Jr. Hits, he might be the number one receiver on his team. Yeah. Plain and simple. And we saw what the number one receiver on his team was able to do uh, over the last few years. So we're, we're both high on Pittman, by the way, make sure you get him at value. Cause he's still going criminal. I, I, I still get him in like every single league. Yeah. Same easily. But anyways, uh, anything else you want to add on the video or should we wrap this up? Cause uh, no, we no. So the, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope if you're a veteran fantasy football player, you took something from that. This was kind of geared towards people who are just joining the channel, just tuning into fantasy content. Now, as we're recording this guys, it's a week from football. I'm fucking excited as hell. And I hope everyone else is too. So if you enjoyed this video, hit the button that looks like this, leave a comment down below, hit the subscribe button. If you're new, hit the bell icon. If you want to see even more stuff from us and be notified at any time we post a video, because they usually come up on janky times. We have busy schedules. We can't get them up at 9am every single morning. So without further ado, guys, take it easy and enjoy your Thursday. Peace out, y'all.